Don't you love how I made you sit through that entire thing? I really just needed us to experience it in full. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. This is our 100th episode and also marks two years of doing this podcast as of this past Tuesday. Two important milestones indeed, and this is perhaps the fifth time I've scrapped the episode and started over and tried to figure out what was the best thing to talk about? What's the best way to encapsulate all that's happened in a hundred episodes of, of of pop culture and personal chatter that has turned into what is now one of the things I'm most proud of in my life and has built a community that has become absolutely indispensable. And one quick housekeeping thing. I have so many things I want to say and we'll have fun in this episode. I want to clarify, I do have three sponsors. This is uncharted territory for me. I try to build my podcast as a reflection of my own values and what I want in content. And I don't like when, you know, I don't want to be the person that over explains. And I'm sure people are going to be like, just own it. And like, yes. But also, I don't like when people can't get in a word ed- edgewise without, you know, Zip Recruiter, uh, who I love. But they're not a sponsor. Sorry. You know what I mean? Just an example. And uh, my point is, for my 100th episode, it actually is inconvenient as it is to the listener. I um, appreciate your flexibility because it's actually quite a milestone for me that strangely, all of a sudden, this this airspace has value. And... Um, I don't know. I, I I appreciate your flexibility. And I just wanted to, like, give you a heads up. Not fundamentally changing. Kind of a unique scenario for a milestone episode. But, uh, you know, thanks to your support and where we are now, it's very, very cool that these things have value. And it only helps propel this podcast further. So God bless you, T's and P's. Thanks for your flexibility. <laughs> That's my comment there. But it's so many people submit ideas for what to do for the 100th episode. And one of the most common questions was, you know, if you were to start today, would you do the same thing? If, you know, how do you feel like you've changed and pivoted uh, and relative to what you sought out to do at the beginning? And what's interesting is, honestly, the mission holds true from episode one. My style and cadence and tone and comfort and, um, you know, the psychotic editor I used at the beginning that cut out like every breath and pause that made me sound like I was on speed. You know, a lot of those things have changed. I've definitely refined topics, you know, stopped talking about some as much and played around with it because it's important to test and learn. But a few things have held true. One being the spirit of be there and five being about a person that has the best of intentions, gets super distracted and has trouble doing things on time. As a result, the spirit of the company I started five or six years ago. And, uh, you know, given that this episode's coming out late Thursday, I am always aiming for Wednesday evening. Um, what happened is I lost my voice after Nashville. So I started working on this episode like late Tuesday, Wednesday, and just could not, I can't do a day turnaround. These episodes take me a long time. And um, for that, I'm sorry. Thank you for your patience. This is my nature. This is who I am. This is something that I wish I could help. But I think that, uh, the the whole mantra behind me there in five has always been rooted in my curiosity. And this outlet for me has always been a, a, a way to share the things that I didn't feel like I had people in my immediate life to talk about all of these things I've, you know, I, that I dive into that the rabbit holes I go down and the aspects of popular culture that transcend what 
media so often associates with popular culture, which is often entertainment. And entertainment's great. But I my argument has always been that there are so many things to talk about beyond celebrities and music and TV and, and movies. And while I love all of those things, I also this podcast has really been grounded in so many aspects of the millennial ethos that I argue are points of connectivity that are so essential in this day of, um, you know, the disconnection and fragmentation that technology brings to our lives. And while technology and social media is solely responsible for my career, I also think that one of the things that makes millennials so incredible, so overlooked, um, and that millennials, you know, ourselves, we need to harness in our decision-making and leadership as we become the predominant generation in the adult world is how incredibly special it is that we were coming of age both before and after the internet. The internet is the most transformational thing to happen in the past century. It literally is how we're defining generations. It is our, our points of access to information, our immediate satisfaction in getting that information and our ability to socialize remotely inevitably have an immense impact on our, our development in our formative years and certainly do as it relates to Gen Z having kind of grown up knowing nothing else besides the Internet. You know, I've spent a lot of time on this podcast trying to argue uh, that so many of the things that are attributed to millennials in terms of, you know, being lazy and entitled and living with our parents and caring more about passion than than structure and providing and being obsessed with smartphones. And millennials are the most studied generation. And, you know, boomers and the media alike are so willing to insult us at every turn and make these blanket statements about who we are and what we care about as if we're this, you know, enigma that nobody understands because they assume we came out of the womb on an iPhone. Um, they assume we have we have no regard for personal connection or accountability and have never had to like live in this world where things were a little bit more difficult, a little harder to come by, and that this immediate gratification has yielded a generation of these incredibly spoiled individuals. And it's just not the case. Uh, first, before we get started, I wanted to let you guys know that one of our wonderful sponsors this week is a company whose praises I was recently singing, who I actively pursued because I know so many people that love them. It is Buffy. They make bedding that is super comfy and sustainable. And uh, their main mission was they themselves spending sleepless nights worrying about the impact that the bedding industry has on the environment. And they decided to change it. And they make their products using only renewable and recycled materials, which makes them as soft on the planet as they are on your bed. I live for a tagline. Uh, so I have the cloud comforter. It's covered in eucalyptus fabric. It's filled with this fluffy fiber. It's made with 100% re recycled bottles somehow. And we are obsessed. It like it's warm, but li it's light in weight and warm once it gets on you. And it kind of like, I don't know how to explain it. It almost encapsulates you, like it wraps you. It, it, sometimes fluffy doesn't really, isn't, doesn't fall on you. It's almost too light and it's not surrounding you to a point where like the air is like packed in and you're kept warm. And these are so, so comfortable. The fabric itself is soft and they're warm as hell, but kind of light in body. And I mean, you can see for yourself, the comfort has over 17,000 five-star reviews. And it keeps you at the perfect temperature. People are so smart. I, I would never. How do you help you invent these things? It's it's incredible. Uh, but anyway, the uh, what's great too is if it seems high risk to try like bedding that you feel like you can't return. What's awesome is that you can try a comforter on your own bed for free. And if you don't love it, you can return it at no cost. It is a free trial. 
And uh, best of all, for $20 off your Buffy comforter, visit Buffy.co and enter promo code BETHEREIN5. That's Buffy.co, B-U-F-F-Y dot co. Use promo code BETHEREIN5. And as you know, right now, millennials are roughly 22 to 38, which is very much the demographic of the listeners of this podcast. And of course, several people on the periphery that are more than welcome here. Uh, but I, 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 for this episode, given that it's the 100th and given that I wanted to kind of find the best through line that not only represents philosophically what I care about and wanted this podcast to be about, and that also is part of my own personal experience, but also that marks the type of episodes that I think have connected us the most and that have brought the the podcast to this point, which, you know, one, of course, being the conversation about influencers, bloggers, Mormon mommy bloggers, um, you know, deep diving into influencer proposals and YouTube beauty scandals and kind of these things that are major, you know, major news stories among our peers yet aren't always represented in more formal news outlets that I always wanted to discuss. And that's a white space I always wanted to fill and still do. But for this episode, what I wanted to focus more on is what I think is a deeper point of connectivity in terms of talking about elements of our uh, of culture that are first and foremost experiential, whether they're things we ourselves experienced you know, in our youth, then our nostalgic or semi-current in college and sororities or, or, or modern, I think that the, the elements of culture that are the most fascinating and the things that connect us the most aren't just the things that we're observing in pop culture happening to other people and public figures, but rather the elements of the zeitgeist, the sign of the times of the things that we ourselves experience and what that means. And kind of the joy and simplicity of reflecting on that and how it makes us have so much more in common than we may have even realized because, you know, independent of all of the complexities of adulthood of, you know, when you're robbed of your clean slate and the world starts to, you know, kind of permeate your brain with clutter and noise and opinions masked as truths. And, you know, your way of processing information gets complicated. Uh, I think paring down and talking about our interests before we were so mired in our differences is a really interesting thing to do this day and age. And it's been a really incredible aspect of building this community because the, the episodes that have done incredibly well are typically about like nothing and everything or something completely off the cuff that I barely planned. Not That's not to my own credit, but rather how sometimes we overthink the subject matter and how sometimes the the ultimate escape is is not going far and not looking ahead it's it's going back and being in a suburban mall with a fountain that smells like loose change and digging through the hand sanitizer bin at the bath and body works i think that we all can have a whole host of differences but you know and granted i know i come from the standpoint of a blonde like gangly person in public school suburbia i can only speak to my own experience but i think that sometimes independent of your background, you know, if you can still remember grinding at a middle school dance, if you can, you know, smell the cucumber melon body splash, if you can still feel the chill of a, a friend's basement at a sleepover or, you know, similarly, the chill of, of 
a friend's parents that lacked supervision and let you watch Scream and Dirty Dancing when you were like eight years old for some reason. Like, if you can hear the sound of dial-up internet and the intrepid patience it took to burn a CD and the 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 the, the yearning for wishing you could afford that all the Roxy and Billabong swag that your friend could afford at the Ron John. I can still feel the touch of the creepy guy with the comb at Life Touch Picture Day. I can still feel the the immense pressure of retakes in terms of Picture Day when the first one didn't go well. I I can feel a crisp fall day and that feeling of having a brand new eraser from the Scholastic Book Fair that I just want to bite into so badly. All of these types of things are so sensory and so simple, and in real time they were normal and even. After that, in my adolescence, I didn't process or analyze them because why? They just happened. But there's something as an adult that's so, um, I don't know, I guess important to me, honestly, um, to kind of regress through these simpler times and through these uh, moments of childhood that similar to in therapy, you know, they they make they make you go back. You have to go through any and all trauma, regardless of how severe in order to be able to move forward. And I'd argue that there's a case for regressing through the joys of our, not just our youth, but our life and analyzing them as ourselves now. And not only to understand who we are better, but to connect with each other better and to appreciate where we've been and incorporate some of that simplicity and purity into who we are going forward, how we make decisions, how we raise children and kind of, you know, as we build a, a defense for how truly incredible and dynamic millennials are for having grown up in a time where we rode bikes without helmets and just like played in the creek and came home before dark and had to fight for time on the Internet. And it took 20 minutes to get on it. And like I wrote papers from like straight up encyclopedias. Like I went to libraries. That's so crazy to think about. Like we, 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 people act like we're this generation that like is so entitled and spoiled and everything comes easily to us. But I'm like, uh, excuse me. I didn't grow up with the DVR. I had to use T9 word. I've seen some shit. Don't, don't act like I've had it easy just because I'm a millennial. No, I'm just kidding. But point being, I think what I've realized through this podcast is there's just a million reasons we're all so different and won't see things the same. And we've had different life experience and we have different values and beliefs. But so much of the, the these small aspects of our youth so quickly remind me that before life got complicated, we were all so similar. And remind me why I think millennials are so unique and so awesome and have a lot of reasons to connect because we we really do have a unique experience that other people don't. And I say all this because this episode, my 100th episode, I titled it Millennial Old because that actually was the original name of the podcast. And don't like take that or anything. I have the domains or it's, it's I'm using it for something else. Um, but and I actually kind of did want to speak more. Uh, call it philosophically, intellectually, if you will, about uh, my thoughts on how millennials are perceived my experience working in a market research job for so long where all anybody cared about were millennials um society's incessant quest to define us so they're more comfortable so then we therefore define ourselves and restrict ourselves because we need to be palatable to others i think that there's so many themes that tie into kind of how millennials are perceived and 
a lot of reasons why we're incredibly special. And I think that um, so much of what I've covered on this podcast has to do with this like central theme of uh, not just being about, you know, nostalgia and, uh, you know, current events and current times and how we view current times, but also being about how badly I wanted there to be a space where people could be more than one thing, where you could be deep and shallow, where you could be smart, where you could, you know, care about the housewives, where you could, you know, take guilty out of all of these things we find pleasure in because we shouldn't feel guilty about them because we aren't defined by one singular thing. I think a lot of people think millennials are like lost and scattered and all over the place. And that's one way to look at it. But you could also look at it from a completely different lens of we have the the privilege of exploring based on being in a time that is less burdened by the you know insistence that everyone's life looks the same. And um, this podcast in and of itself is an ex- example of an untraditional job that people really don't get. That is so incredibly millennial of me. Uh, and it's almost meta when I <laughs> really think about it. But um, I, I just, I don't know. I have so many thoughts on this topic as it relates to uh, the thing I sought out to do on this podcast. I maybe didn't even realize, ironically, podcasting as an industry was the most guilty of and um, kind of wanted to reflect on uh, my experience in a little bit more detail if you want to hear it. A lot of people asked, like, well, just talk about. Like what it's been like in, in podcasting and, you know, kind of if you've been able to stick to your original mission and how you've changed and did it on some of your experiences and more than happy to. I never know if that's too like inside baseball or if that's interesting to people. You never want to seem like you're just talking about yourself, but I literally could not have more thoughts on that. Uh, but for this episode, too, what I wanted to do now is um, go through a, a post that I had been saving for so long uh because it had so many responses and it was so fun and i wanted to read people's responses in a facebook group post i did uh because i really do think that above all else above any episodes i do this is the stuff people love and while this isn't as like a super structured episode and i don't have anything planned out i just you know if you're here and you've been here for a while and if we're going to commemorate something, let's like do the thing we love doing the most, which is just like shooting the shit about the old, the good old days, right? About the things that bring us together, about a simpler time. I think there's just so much joy in doing this. I love it so much. It seems to be what resonates with you. And um, just figured for this episode, I wouldn't overthink it. We'd have fun. We'd reminisce a little bit, uh, go over some of our fave topics. I'll wax poetic later, tell you a little bit about my experience and pushback I've experienced trying to have. Uh, the podcast I want and uh, tell you a little bit about what I've learned over 100 episodes in terms of uh, what if, if if I could tell myself something, you know, when I started, what would I want to know? And I I never it's it's hard. Like sometimes I'm like people only want to come on and listen if I'm talking about like the parcels. Like, I don't know. And uh, but like I think for me, I'm a much more serious person than I maybe let on. And I love to like get deep and to like I like to pretend we're having a glass of red wine, like running through our veins and we are solving the world's problems. Like that is how I like to talk to you. And that is what <laughs> brings me so much joy. And if I ever get too intense, my intentions are good and you, you're welcome to drop off. But um, I think that when I thought of this like broader theme, I was just like overcome with uh, ideas and complaints and frustrations, but also wanting to like go through the nitty gritty of what's so funny about 
that, you know, late 90s, early 2000s time where like we thought we had it all. But looking back, I'm like, oh, no, I didn't have an iPad. What the hell was I doing? So I had said in the Facebook group, I think in September, if you're an older millennial, what are the things we grew up with that kids today wouldn't understand? And I was interested in this because I see a lot of this super top level, like there's these memes that are like, if you didn't have a VHS player and rewind, like go back to your scooter. You weren't born in the 90s. And I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, why are you trying to like create this divide based on nonsense? It's not even like quirky or specific. But I knew you guys would have specific things to say because you're into this. And I was so interested in like, what is what are your like? oh, this is, this defines me. This is something we had to deal with. A person that is in the position today just like wouldn't believe like we had to do X, Y, or Z. And of course it kind of turned into just like general nostalgia commentary, but even more so than Instagram, the people that I would trust with this brilliance is the Facebook group. Uh, and I just wanted to read through as many of them as I can. I mean, there are, uh, there, uh, last I, the, when I printed this a long time ago, there was, I think, 800 comments. But I'll just go through them. Jenny said that you didn't always have a camera on you at all times. My niece has taken over 20,000 photos on her iPhone since getting one from the start of her high school career. Yeah, I mean, like you have to think about that. That's crazy. Not only did you not always have a camera on you, you didn't have film, right? Um, yeah, and then some, somebody else said waiting six months before you get your film developed and selfies without looking like knowing what they looked like until later. And I think that is a deeper philosophical thing of... Um, you you only you know get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. the The opportunity for a good photo comes once in a lifetime, and by a lifetime, I mean a passing field trip at an aquarium. So or maybe a Civil War historic battle site. The places I took disposable cameras. It is kind of funny to think how now we have this. We have to like obsess over our looks and wait till we get a good photo, and it does affect your presence. Um, having to wait for your sibling to get off aim so you could call your crush. I mean. I feel this so hard. Truly, well, not even call your crush. I don't, oh, God, no, I would never call people. I, I would just get on AIM, put up an away message that was vaguely emotional. It was probably going to be Dixie Chicks, Cowboys, take me away. I want to walk and not run. I want to skip and not fall. I want to look at the horizon and not see a building standing tall. I want to be the only one for miles and miles, except for maybe you and your simple smile. I hit the digits, and if all went well, they'd hit the digits. Did that ever happen? God, no. Who would call me after that incredibly intense bridge I decided to post? Uh, but I wanted him to know that I was open to a cowboy to indeed take me away. I have a passive approach when it comes to dating, largely based in a patriarchal Southern upbringing. Uh, having to call my parents, collect on the payphone to make sure they were still coming to pick me up after junior high basketball practice. That's like the "At a baby, it's a boy commercial, which is brilliant, right? Um, you had to call somebody collect, but you wouldn't get charged unless they accepted the call. So you had to say what you wanted to say before the person prompted to ask them to pick up. <laughs> and yeah, I remember when I bled through my pants, like we've all had period pants. I had to call my mom collect. I didn't have loose change. I remember standing by those payphones so many times just being like, it, it's, it's so crazy to think that if you needed something, your homework, change of pants, whatever, and your mom didn't or dad or sibling or somebody didn't happen to be home. There's no way to get in touch with them until they came home and heard the message. I, I, I struggle to understand in what, on what planet people were able to make plans. All the things that come up, I would think if somebody was like late or didn't show that they just died, you know, all the time. I would live in this world of stress. 
think about getting lost, losing directions, breaking your car breaks down. Like I, I just, I don't know if because of that, people looked more flaky because they would show up without, would not show up without warning or because of that, people like really stuck to plans. You know what I mean? This person said having a second landline in your room was big time. Literally the dream. Truly you were the it girl. Having a second line in your room to like talk to boys. I, I you, you are Kate from Lizzie McGuire. Uh, I, for some reason, commented back on this girl's comment saying you, you were effectively the Caroline Calloway of middle school. That is a dated comment, and I don't know what I meant by that. But if the phone was see-through, my God, you were a Rockefeller. Wow, that's another really funny thread I want to read through at some point is uh, people's impressions of what they thought mo- like having money meant as a kid. Uh, for me, it was snacks, trampolines, you know, power wheels, all the usual suspects. But uh, far above and beyond was if your parents sent your dolls who the, you cut their hair and you ripped their leg off to the American Girl Doll Hospital for ninety nine dollars. I came back with this darling cast and crutches and wheelchair situation that for some reason I glamorized as a child. Do you remember like wanting glasses? Like my sister always wanted glasses, braces, crutches and a lisp. And she would like put it on her Christmas list. And I'm sorry I'm telling the world that, Kelly, but it is strange. But I do remember thinking at first braces were cool and that like I looked studious and like cute in glasses as if I was, you know, a a regular Molly McIntyre. But Lord knows she's the only one that can pull those off. Um. I'm kind of uh, skipping around the panic of accidentally hitting the browser button on your cell phone and being afraid you wouldn't hit cancel fast enough in the full minute it took the browser to actually load. That was so high stress on my Sprint phone. It was called the World Wide Web and I didn't know what it was. And uh, it would charge you truly uh, $50 if you like opened it. It was terrifying. And Sprint at the time also had something called a short mail before texting was a thing. And a short mail cost you like $250. Yeah, that was wild. And that, but when strangely, that phone did have a camera. And I also think it's funny to think of putting up an antenna. Uh, it's it's kind of like, a, I don't know, I'd feel chic doing that all of a sudden. I'm kind of interested in one of those Razor phones, by the way. Building websites on GeoCities and Angel Fire. Don't I know it? I had one dedicated to my best friends at the time. I don't think I gave out the URL, but it did rotate based on who wronged me. It had all, it had those like uh, smiley face animation emojis. It had a bunch of, stars and it had a big ticker count of how many people had visited at the bottom and i do remember maxing out at 31 um (laughs) this is a great point uh you asking somebody where are you on the phone is a new thing if you called someone and they answered you you knew where they were home you're so right unless you're a genius and when you wanted to get into deviant behavior in high school all of your friends, you'd like do a round robin and whosoever house you said you were at, you'd pop into their house and call your parents from their parents' landline. Oldest trick in the book. Uh, our idea of playlists were CD binders. I freaking love a CD binder. I have a miniature one of mine left, but it's mostly like DVDs and I got rid of all my sick mixtapes. I mean, speaking of memories people brought up, uh, one of the most commonly referenced things to get in the Facebook group is your skin just gets tougher when your CD takes eight hours to buffer. And, you know, I'm glad that's my legacy. If anything, I feel that so hard. And I had LimeWire. Lime I had BearShare. I had Napster. I had, I, I, I had all of the sites that basically would mislabel songs and cause me into eternity at pub trivia to get wrong who the artist was. Prime example pretty sure Napster, Kazaa, LimeWire, all of the things said that 
the song Closing Time was by Third Eye Blind, and it's by Semisonic. There's also a famous LimeWire conspiracy where for some reason there's cover of Gin and Juice is attributed to um, Fish. And, and it never was and isn't Fish. And to this day, when I hear see or hear Gin and Juice, I'm like, isn't Fish sing this? And like, they just don't. It's kind of interesting. There's a lot of examples. Um, like that song, I Just Died in Your Arms Died, is by Cutting Crew, not Meatloaf. Uh, there, what's another one? I swear. Well, I think this is just a problem in, in society, but Dancing in the Moonlight was always listed as Van Morrison and not King Harvest. Um you know, if you if you uh, do pub trivia, you know what I mean in terms of this really uh, cramp in your style. Red, red wine, not Bob Marley. <laughs> I know that now, obviously. Uh, let's see here. Standing at line with a parent at 3 a.m. to get the best concert tickets. My parents did not do that. God bless. Um, also, I, I didn't really go... When I was that young, I don't even know if they would have let me go to con- concerts as I... Told you on maybe like the fourth podcast episode, my first concert was Clay Aiken and Ruben Studdard, which I'm not proud of. I mean, the concept of privacy just generally being how far a phone cord stretched unless Santa just hooked you up and got you one of those, you know, semi like the translucent neon colored VTech cordless phones. Oh, God. So elegant. So, so stunning. I, I, I could only dream. Spending the night outside of Hallmark in small gift shops for Beanie Babies. Again, your parents would stand in line outside of stores for tickets and Beanie Babies? <laughs> that's, that's cute. But it's a cute memory. The only time I remember buying a Beanie Baby is at a lock-in. Pretty sure I bought Tabasco, who is now has immense retail value. Why were we spending the night inside at Virginia Center Commons Mall on the disgusting linoleum floor and the basking in the loose change scent of the chlorine fountain? I, I, just, I remember the echoes. I remember the fake plants. I remember being furious the San Rio store was closed when it was bedtime. I didn't sleep a wink. Like, wh- why are we locking ourselves in places? Just let's all, let's all go home. Let's not do church lock-in. Spoiler alert to parents. A church lock-in is French kissing spin the bottle city. We had one at a laser tag joint. Nobody kissed me, but my friends kissed people, and it was exciting to watch. Oh, my God. Uh, Microsoft Paint. Yes, yes. Just call me Renoir. My inadvertent impressionist paintings that were just scribble, but... You know, get me a mouse and an overly thick digital paintbrush, and I will create you a scene of a forest and trees, maybe with one woodland creature to print off for my mom. Use all of the ink that my dad then is trying not to be mad that I drained with this forest painting and, you know, goes on the fridge and I felt satisfied and a good night spent. I freaking love Microsoft Paint. There's a really good Instagram filter that emulates MS Paint. Uh, Walkmans with a CD or tape, yes. And do you remember the like metric, the like the horsepower, like whatever KPI metric, like makes something like hip or cool? Uh, for Walkman or Discman, it was the 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 shock resistance factor, right? I remember because we used to have to run two miles before volleyball practice. Which also, like people say, Avril Lavigne died, and there's a doppelganger that replaced her, and it's this big conspiracy. The person that ran two miles before volleyball practice and then did two a days of like two, four to five hour practices per day of athletic cardio, like activity and weightlifting. Literally, I'm pretty sure I died and was replaced by a doppelganger. There's no ounce of me that is that person or would do that thing. But I remember because, you know, if we when we were running and you were had a CD like a disc man, it mattered what your ESP was, your electronic shock protection. I remember being like, hey, girl, what's that ESP like? Well, I've got to hit up the radio shack after this. Uh 
texting or calling a number to vote for American Idol. I think people still do this. Uh, dialing a local number for time and temperature. Oh my God, my sister loved doing that. And there was like a local county line for when schools were closed for when it snowed outside. Oh my God, we st- and it would always be busy because everybody was calling it constantly. Oh, and movie times too. Um, it is kind of funny to think of having to call a radio station in hopes they would play your song. Uh, I, I remember one time I called because M&M's was having a contest to, uh, everybody could vote on the new M&M color. I was invested. Uh, I wanted pink. Pink is my vibe. Uh, my sister and her friend Monica came in my room. They waited until the person picked up. And then when they said, what is your vote? They shout blue. And then the woman hung up. I have never cried so hard in my life. And you know, it's these moments that define us. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm like, this is the trauma I've had to regress through in therapy. But no, that this is the point, though. Like, this, I think, is an important thing to remember as a parent is you have perspective. You cannot grant a child that perspective. And you almost have to acknowledge how very real and severe things are to them in real time, even though you have the clarity of knowing that they're not going to matter. Oh, my freaking Fruitopia. I used to drop all my allowance on a kiwi strawberry Fruitopia, the, the like the, the lime green radioactive Fruitopias. Somebody mentioned Pen15. I assume they mean the show. Here's the thing. Everyone's like, have you seen Pen15? You love nostalgia. Yes, of course. I've watched it several times. It's brilliant. I love them. I wish I could write for it. Uh, my only hang up with Pen15 is that I feel like half the fun of doing this is digging. And I don't want them to like cover all this stuff. Then it then becomes unanimous and ubiquitous. Like people being like, get on your scooter if you didn't be kind of rewind. Because like, I, I hate when stuff becomes cliche. And I feel like we're at a point now where the early 2000s, this late 90s is kind of this like, beautiful form of quirky reminiscing where we all remember these things but they take a minute to tap into and having these conversations is so fun and i don't want them to just become like oh remember lava lamps it's like yes i remember a lava lamp yes i remember inflatable furniture but also you know i said kirsten dunst and bring it on's torso along with christina aguilera's in the come on over video those are the two torsos that made me feel worse about my body than my youth pastor when really i do think the culprit of my initial body image issues was the deflation level of all my inflatable furniture those things just never could stay blown up. And call it me, call it the bad plug, but Claire's did me dirty. Oh my gosh, calling people when you figure out who your teacher was that year, your class schedule. Yes, that was so magical. If I'm being honest, all I cared about were, was who, what boys were in my class. I'm not even kidding. I think I might have dropped out of honors English one year because I was trying to get with a mega hottie. Uh, it's so bad, guys. So bad. I blame girl talk. I blame TV. I blame movies. I blame everything for... Just, you know, 17 magazines, trauma-rama section for just making me seem like it was the whole world that I, you know, impressed my crush. And speaking of, I snagged a vintage copy of a 2001 book that is the 17 compila- compilation of their worst trauma-ramas and their best advice. It does not age well, and it is mwah, chef's kiss, and I'm going to go through it and read through some of it on an episode. Oh, my God, three-way phone calls where you and your friend would dial you and then their crush and then they'd see if they liked you back guys that is a that is playing with fire oof i mean there there is no greater suspense i i often talk about my live shows the adrenaline hangover i feel you know sometimes it is the alcohol but more often than not it's like to have so much fun and to get to meet people like all of you that i love so much and that you're everything I imagined and more. And I get to hear your life stories and you're so engaged and you care about the show that I work really hard on. And some days I convince myself nobody cares because all I can see are numbers. And I meet you and it's so wonderful. And then um, 
the next day I'm just like alone and I'm like on a plane and I'm like, will I ever see them again? I almost feel like it's just this funny come down. And um, I, the only adrenaline I can liken that to is the buildup of agreeing to let your friend ask somebody or tell them that you have a crush on them and to ask them if they like you and hearing back. I truly can think of no circumstances where I heard that back. There was one kid in middle school that liked me and he would write me notes. He was two years younger than me. And that that's like hot in your thirties, but in middle school, it's just like, you're, you're actually a child, you know, like it's just strange. Oh my gosh. Yes. Girlfriends, Aloy, Delia's the, this, this, that is couture. I had a platform. The only thing I had from Delia's was a platform Birkenstock kind of similar. Actually, no, it was from girlfriends LA kind of similar to how I, the only, well, well, one of the only shirts or the most prominent shirt I had from the Abercrombie clearance rack was midnight cowgirl. I do remember getting to pick out something from the Girlfriends LA catalog and it was a white platform Birkenstock that I truly never wore and just wanted it for the branding, for the image, right? Because the image is everything. And obviously if I showed up at a party with a white platform Birkenstock, everybody was going to know I was the next big thing. But the problem was I was so self-conscious of my height and these probably made me about 5'11 in seventh grade and I never wore them once. <laughs> oh my God, I love these old school search engines. Asks ask jeeves in alta vista i used to ask jeeves everything he was my main guy google kind of came around later i was way i was a yahoo alta vista and asked jeeves power user jeeves the only frustrating part about my main man jeeves is you did have to ask it in the form of a question and it's not jeopardy like relax you're lucky i'm not hopping on over to like hotbot or web crawler there also was like dogpile and lycos and uh excite was nets is Netscape one or is that like an AOL? There was Prodigy and CompuServe before AOL. I mean, God, I, these 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 things were so new that they were so exciting. And that's why they're, they're so distinct in my memory. I think I have told you guys before. I did have a, a friend I talked to on AOL. No clue how old he was. No clue where he lived. I wasn't old enough to even ask ASL. His screen name was Chill Puppy. And frankly, I'm concerned. <laughs> so strange. Oh my God, Star 67. That was like the original ghosting, kind of. Well, not really. That's how you blocked your number from caller ID. And Star 69 is how you saw who just called you, which what pervs the phone company. Uh, limited to all the accessories. Oh my God, yeah, featherpens.com. So magical. The calculator boob thing. <laughs> Dolly Parton was 69 pounds overweight. The doctor said that she was too, too, too much. He gave her 51 pills and told her to take them for eight days. Now she is 692251 times eight, which equals upside down something that spells boobless. I do remember doing that distinctly. We did not use Dolly Parton. Must be depending on where you're from. Uh, but that's hilarious. We did boobless and we also did... Um, it was something about like being a slut or a whore. You know, it was a great time to be a woman in the 90s. <laughs> it was literally, oh my God, I'm forgetting it. Oh crap, I forget. Actually, maybe I think I was thinking of hell, like 4377. Talk, talk about having a meltdown. I'm sorry. I've had so many issues this week. A, I didn't know what to talk about. And then I just decided I wanted to have fun. And then B, I didn't have a voice until like late Tuesday and normally I would have started way earlier and I just like I feel bad and it's taking so long and um all I want to do is like go through these and laugh and all I wish is that like other people are in the room with me <laughs> such as the plight of the uh solo podcaster oh my god the radio DJ's intro goes in too long and he talks over the start of the song you've been waiting for 
Yes. I would be so mad. I'd be like, Casey Kasem, put a sock in it. I'm trying to listen to Dreams He Loves You Not. And because of you, I missed you pulling petals off a flower, trying to get your way. Keep milk pulling till he says what you want to say. Girl, you could pick a field full of daisies, but he'd still be my baby. Ugh, sick burn. Girl, you could pick a field full of daisies, but he'd still be my baby. Oh, God, I'm getting loopy. Our next sponsor, God love him, is a new favorite of mine. It's HelloFresh. When I tell you I made the most gorgeous, elegant pork dish of my life recently, it was plated beautifully. There was jam. There was asparagus. There was potatoes that actually crisped at the edges and didn't just sog their skins off. I honestly am confused if I am still me cooking these things because somehow I'm doing a great job. I I truly leave every meal being like, oh, my God, I have so much so much untapped talent. What am I going to do with this? I had no idea I could cook. It's been actually kind of just a joy for me to decompress at night. And also, I just feel better being able to, like, make dinner and have something. And I'm the one that works at home all day. And I don't know, just is doing wonders for my life. It's America's number one meal kit. They are mouthwatering seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door. And it, it just makes, I don't know, it, it's not only convenient, but it's, it's fun, it's easy, it's affordable. And the recipes I've had so far are outstanding. I've made fajitas, I made a pork dish, I made uh, a bolognese sauce, which I never saw that for my life, but it was incredible. And it just has saved me a lot of time and stress. It's about 30 minutes, 20 minutes for some of the quicker recipes. And it's like, when you think about the grocery store, it takes me like 40 minutes an hour, but to have three meals sent to me that take 20 minutes or less to complete and they all the ingredients are like pre-measured for me. It's pretty incredible. They have 22, over 22 seasonal chef curated recipes every week, and it helps you to be able to eat more sustainably, less prep, less food waste, and the flexibility can fit your lifestyle. You can add extra meals uh, for lunches to your weekly order, which I've actually been meaning to do. And you can throw in sides and dessert like garlic bread and cookie dough, which I think is a really, really smart of them to do because so often that is what I'm missing. Um, it comes out to about, mm, I think it's five. Yeah, it's $5.66 per serving, which is really incredible. And if you want to try HelloFresh, you can get 10 meals for free, including free shipping. If you go to HelloFresh.com slash be there in 510, it's five spelled out as a word and 10 as a number. So be there in five, how the show is, number 10. And use code be there in five, number 10, uh, to get 10 free meals, including free shipping. So HelloFresh.com slash be there in 510, same code be there in 510, and enjoy. Trust me, you will. And maybe we should tell them about the calculator trick where you can type 43770 and it says hello. God, we're, we're, we're us millennials, we're geniuses. Going to the pool, not knowing if all your friends are there. Ugh, God. The pits. Sometimes it's like, you know, the best and worst thing to have to us is like Evite or Paperless Post. The thing you don't say in the olden days, in the millennial olden days, is, you know, who's going? That's that's the ultimate insult. It's like, well, I'm only going if cool people are there. So you just had to show up anyway. And there was a lot of high risk birthday parties you go to for periphery friends in the class that you weren't really clear on their core crew. And uh, to show up to a discovery zone, a bowling alley, only to find that none of your crew was there was a tough realization that you had to drown your sorrows in Diet Coke and, you know, crappy sheet cake. And sometimes it was fun. Sometimes you made a new friend. But unfortunately, I didn't have the kindness in elementary and middle school to be like, 
it was just nice that I came. I didn't have the, you know, the kindness that you exercise at sorority recruitment when you're like, she's a stupid slut bitch whore, but she came to our party. I wasn't that kind, you know? Also, this episode is like full of inside jokes. And if you're new here, I'm sorry. Comments about having to tape shows or you missed it. I felt the same way about taping songs, taping shows. When Michelle Tanner fell off that horse, if I had missed that, uh, if I missed the following episode of her hugely overstated and unrealistic amnesia, I have never, I, I, that was terrifying when she fell off that horse. I, it was terrifying when DJ wasn't eating enough and fell off that treadmill. I, when, when, you know, somebody sprayed a beer can on DJ because, you know, Gia was hanging around the wrong crowd. We all know if you wear a crop top, you're the wrong crowd. The only problem is now, if you're a teen, if I was a mom, I'd be like, how is 98% of the school the wrong crowd? Because because of the high pass, it's, you know, in, in, you're not in middle school if you're not showing your middle section. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> watching, wait, changing your MySpace background meant becoming an amateur coder. Oh my God, that's amazing. I only know code to this day because of my Zanga page, someone said. I actually agree. Like, I wrote a lot of code when I was younger because I wanted to, like, change certain fonts and colors and aspects of websites that I was making for, like, what even, what is, why was I making websites? It's so strange. But this is why these things that are ultimately transferable are, like, good to let kids play on as long as they're not, like, searching the dark net. So I had the MySpace Top 8, MySpace Tom. I... MySpace and like live, was it not, what was it? Live journal. That was where like the core emo kids hung. And I was really only, I wasn't at the epicenter of, of emo nation. I like to observe the, the chain wallets and the skinny jeans and the, the black side bangs of the straight edge crew in my youth group. And I like to listen to dashboard and saves the day. And, you know, in the, in the quiet of my own home, but I only knew the core two or three songs. And, you know, really, what else do you need besides like screaming infidelities and hands down? But the kids like really got into it, like went to concerts like, you know, they're, they're the Warp Tour crew that I think all probably or or originated on MySpace. That's one of my favorite facts about Jeffree Star and Jack Bannock from the Lady Gang. I I love love lo- and a uh, freaking Hannah from uh, uh, House of DVF. What's her name? Hannah. So she won House of DVF, which like they just wanted her Instagram following. Uh, Barbie Hannah. Is that right? Uh, anyways, I'm obsessed with scene queens. I think that's such a funny uh, pocket of time where these girls like w- dated all the guys in the bands. They went on Warp Tour. They wore Jack Vanek bracelets. Jeffree Star is where he got his start on MySpace. And like now they all three are still kind of like celebrities in their own right. And I think it's really cool an hour plus on at blockbuster on a friday night pre-sleepover because no one can decide the right movie for all the new releases you wanted and all the new releases you wanted are out that's a crazy thing this is what i mean with patience this is what i mean with people will never understand what we've been through to go with your you know your whole crew to the movie time the video store the blockbuster whatever it was and to have your parents try to like you know kind of dodge you around the more suggestive titles like howard stern's private parts and to get to the new releases, only to see all these crisp, gorgeous, cushy, like gel VCR containers with absolutely no videos behind them was soul crushing. And I always liked the same contenders. I was always down for an MKNA special. I reviewed my first video on my Instagram. It's dark. It's scary. If you uh, follow Illuminati stuff, 
it's like projectmonarch.com. They seem like they're being it's it's like dead in the eyes, scary stuff. And no wonder they don't want to be in showbiz and they don't want to be part of Fuller House. Um, there's this one scene where they sing this song to their mom that are they're also dead in the eyes. And then they keep panning to the mom as if we're supposed to be moved. And she's also dead in the eyes. And I'm like, Mrs. Olsen, what were you thinking? Uh, but I always as I got older, I was always down for like a scream, even though I thought it was terrifying. It still made me feel cool. I was always down for 10 Things I Hate About You. She's all that. I was always excited for, you know, a parody movie. I thought those were like super cool, like scary movie or not another teen movie. Those were when I was like a little bit older. I mean, God bless the broken road that led me to the parents that would let me watch Cruel Intentions or <laughs> Election or really, I never got to see wild things like they did in Pen15. I don't know if I would have been ready for a threesome, but uh, I really did appreciate the parents that exposed me to what really the only exposure I had to like the human body or sex and sexuality because my family life was so abstinence rooted. I really learned everything I know from Cruel Intentions, basically. <laughs> I feel like when I went to the video store, my mom was like, you know, Clueless. Yeah, yeah. Clueless sounds fun. But you know what is just I just heard is is really a, a fine film sweeping the nation. Educational, gorgeous, beautiful animation. I think you and your, your gal pals would just really love some Fern Gully. And I was like, Mom! <laughs> I hope it's the last rainforest. I don't want to watch Fern Guy. And I just, you know, would absolutely rage. Those dragonflies were beautiful, though. And it kind of reminded me of Avatar, to be honest. Uh, and also, there was this movie called A Fairy Tale Movie. And it was the very first www.url I went to because the commercial said, go to a fairytalemovie.com. And I was like, what's that? And then I, because I didn't understand how URLs worked. Well, I just had this like overwhelming sense of dread and horror. Because I remember going to the movie store. I wanted a movie. It was mid, early mid-90s. I didn't get my choice. I think for some reason my brother got to pick it out. I knew we were getting dominoes. I knew it was going to be a big night. I'd get a soda. I'm not going to waste that on a movie I don't want to be watching. I'm, I know a lot of people love like the Mighty Ducks, D2, all that stuff. I, I'm not here for sports. I'll, I'll watch Little Giants. I'll, I like Angels in the Outfield. I like Rookie of the Year. I'll watch sports movies. Um, but like, I just don't need that much hockey in my life. And I just feel like my entire adolescence was just, I was just bowing, like trying to get out of the uh, people out of the way that wanted to make me watch one of the D3 series. Uh, and I know that people are not going to be happy with me about that. And I'm sure they're lovely. But as I was talking about Fern Gully, it just like washed over me this horrible feeling when. My brother got to pick out a movie called The Page Master with Macaulay Culkin. I remember the sword and that's all. And I just like see the title screen and I don't even know why I'm saying that. But isn't it? This is why this podcast is such a joy for me. I, I, I literally feel like it's this weird form of like regression therapy where normally a person's hypnotized. But part of me wonders if I'm stuck talking in a stream of consciousness with no choice, really. Am I actually tapping into parts of my brain that a normal person wouldn't because I'm strangely in a zone of a constant monologue that a person doesn't normally have to get into? You know what I mean? I wonder if there's something to the brain chemistry of that. Because I swear to God, if you had asked me the name of that movie 20 minutes ago, I would have never, ever thought of The Page Master. I haven't thought of that since 1995. <sighs> Jeez Louise. Oh my God, don't copy that. Floppy! <laughs> Uh, oh my god that was a rap about piracy it was like copyright infringement it was like the is this oh my god it was like this mc 
And he was like, oh, my God, I need to hear the beginning of this song. I wonder if I'd remember the words. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Don't copy that flapping. It's like, uh, did I think you were did I, did I did I hear did I hear you saying you were thinking of copying a game without playing? I forget. Okay, anyway, sorry. Need to move on. <laughs> Episode's quite late. Don't need to be going through. Don't copy that floppy. Oh God, good times. Why does this stuff? Seriously, I swear to God. And it's I'm not like stuck in the past. I'm not like unhappy with where I am. I, this really aids in my serotonin levels. Oh my God, Neopets. <laughs> it's just Adrian like having a meltdown to comment. I'm laughing. Um, Nextel. Chirp, chirp. Those Nextel yellow phones are the Nissan Xterra of the cell phone. I do that a lot. Okay, I was looking through. Um, I try to save as many as I can of the comments that people leave in like the Facebook group about like, uh, sorry, when you apply to the Facebook group and you're like, can you name a quote or a theme or a thing I said? It just helps me know how like closely you're listening. And I, we have so many people that try to come to the group from Reddit that uh, people are like giving answers. It's so stupid. I'm like, what do you think we're doing in here? It's just like, it's for fans of the podcast. Relax. We're not like leaking, you know, classified intel. But I don't want people in there that aren't listeners. Uh, so that's why I'm like super weird about how I can. I just feel like I can tell if you how you answer a question. If you do actually care about getting in, if you do actually listen, it's just I don't know. It's obvious to me when somebody's phoning in an answer or they're like saying it a little wrong or people are like, oh, my gosh, I like, like, I don't know. I just I don't know how to explain it. I just appreciate people's enthusiasm and I'm not trying to run an exclusive operation. I just am trying to keep out screenshotters anonymous, which has happened before. Oh, yeah. OK, so <laughs> they're just saying next cell phones are the Nissan Xterra of cell phones. I was reading through some of the things people said and there was one that was like carmex is the orthotic shoe of lip balm <laughs> canada goose are the mcmansions of luxury outerwear and then it, i think i also said at one point that it was something like i wasn't abercrombie model hot i was a level of hot that's best served in a wet seal stock room and these are the things that I don't remember saying and why I'm so grateful for you quoting me because I would never go back through and listen. Um, not that I think I'm that funny, but it's so accurate and true. And, you know, no offense to the Canada Goose users of the world. Those things are freaking warm. If I could afford one, I'd be all over it. But we make fun of the things that we can't afford, much like I talk about golden geese shoes being the official shoe of the shoe that's over the telephone pole and it's dirty from inclement weather. Oh, my God, Mavis Beacon. She is my queen. I love her. I oh my god she was my best gal I she was so good at teaching typing a true beacon in her own right and I mean okay <laughs> I have a list of like people characters things that like I think would be hilariously specific to interview one of these characters is Mavis Beacon unfortunately Mavis Beacon is not a real person it's a character she is a Haitian woman who was found behind a count, like a counter at a Saks Fifth. <laughs> it sounded like I was going to say she was found somewhere. No, she was working at a Saks Fifth Avenue. Um, she's a beautiful model. And uh, she became the face for uh, Mavis. And a lot of uh, I remember reading that like a lot of I don't know, like TV stations and stuff. 
were really wanting to interview Mavis uh, for an event. And um, the, there's just so much confusion because a lot of people think she's like this historical figure. She's like cultural icon, like the Wikipedia page. Oh, no, let me look. Yeah, it says that there people it's the same issue people have with Betty Crocker and that they think it's a real person. I don't think I ever thought Betty Crocker was a real person. Do you think Mr. Clean's a real person? I feel like there's a line we draw, but Mavis was so real to me and she was so important and she was so much better than Mario at teaching typing. And I will forever love her. A ton of stuff with like AIM, but there's an old episode. I think it's Welcome to O-Town, Population Me. It's one of the first 10 episodes. I go into AIM. I play the noises. We do all the things. So I'm, I'm skipping over a lot of stuff that I feel like I've talked about before because we've gone through a lot of nostalgia on this year podcast. Oh my god, using spider webs by no doubt as the family answering machine recording. I like ninety-nine percent sure Kelly and I did that. That is so funny. Also, I was not allowed to listen to Tragic Kingdom. I had to steal it from her room. Getting a stereo was like a big effing Christmas gift. I mean, literally big, but also monumental. Yeah, the, the, that three D CD tanger, like damn. Can you imagine having to change each CD out? Like, yeah, I would just. Watch that thing twirl like a jukebox and thought I had made it. It's also weird to think of only like your rich friends having access to the Disney Channel. It was like subscription based. Thank God it went, you know, it became a democracy by the time a lot of the DCOMs came out. But in the early days, it was tough stuff. I had to watch the Torkelsons at my friend's house. Oh, my God. I love all the games. I love Word Munchers. I love Oregon Trail. I love Dino Park Tycoon. I didn't play The Sims a ton, um, but I love the old school like MS-DOS games. Oregon Trail was funny, too, and I, freak, I I honestly don't even know what I've talked about at this point, but uh, literally my entire life, I thought it was like my little secret that I had caught a typo on the Oregon Trail because you'd get to this point where you'd get to a cliff and it would tell you the trail is impassable. And I was like, impassable? Don't they mean impossible? Oh, God. Classic computer game. Doesn't know how to type. I literally took that well into my adulthood and thought of it semi-recently, and I was like, oh, you know what? Impassable is a word. Good story, Kate. Uh, I died of all the things. I My meat would spoil wildly. I wanted to kill all the bison or ox or whatever the hell it was. And it just really frustrated me that there wasn't any sort of refrigeration packing available on the on the wagon. Devin Sawa, Andrew Keegan, JTT, Jonathan Jackson, Brad Renfro. R.I.P. Brad Renfro died? <gasps> I was just about to pe- play a really distasteful game of Mary F for Kill. Now I won't. Remember when people were trying to make Zachary Ty Bryan happen? I was like, can we not make Zachary Ty Bryan happen? I'd sooner F. Wilson. Uh, blondes aren't my favorite because I am one. Guys, and now I'm so mad too because last night I asked you guys your sleepover memories and I haven't had time to be on Instagram today because I was recording this. I'll do that as a follow-up. Um, that's worth talking about too. I love sleepover culture so much, but I also wanted to like, you know, I could talk about nostalgia all the live long. And these responses are all on Facebook. I didn't. I wanted to like read some to commemorate, but also not like read the stuff you guys already know you could read. Um, but oh my god, I just saw one that said prank calling the one eight hundred hooks hooked on phonics line. I'm dead. Uh, <laughs> putting panties on the ceiling and cranking it to high. Sheesh. Frigid dare blindfold someone and make them eat gross concoctions. Oh, you're a regular uh, James Gordon. Uh, we would hold our breath and look like we choked ourselves until we passed out. So <laughs> I'm dead. Wait, I'm so mad. If I didn't have an advertiser deadline, I would just read these. Darren's dance grooves. Another person said girls used to play the pass out game. I remember people doing that, but I didn't do it. I'm too scared. Obviously, we know light is a feather, stiff as a board. We know Candyman. We know Bloody Mary. Uh, 
first person to fall asleep hand in warm water to make them pee the bed. So rude. What? Like, honestly, kids are just like born bullies. Oh, my God. Omegle. That like site where you can chat with strangers. It's so funny. Oh, my God. Pausing now and then on the Devon Sawa towel scene. Yes. Oh, my God. Now and then is so, so good. I really wanted to be teeny. But now that I say that, I think I thought Teeny as an adult, Thora Birch was Goldie Hawn as an adult, but it was Melanie Griffith. I got them confused. Goldie Hawn in uh, First Wives Club is perfection. I'd also go for uh, Gabby Hoffman. who She was Demi Moore. Oh, my God. That movie is so good. Knock three times on the ceiling if you want me. Oh, my God. I love that song. I just got so excited. Um, sorry. This, now and Then was like the song like of my friend group of from my neighborhood. I mean, I guess it was probably everybody's, right? How else will we know what a seance is? Chat roulette. Some of you guys are younger than me. I did play chat roulette, but when I met Greg, our first date, we played chat roulette. We saw a ton of penises, and also we saw the Jonas Brothers that did confirm on Twitter they were on chat roulette the night before. Watching Cinemax, totally. Oh, my God. Your friend's mom let you drink Mike's hard lemonade? She bought it for you? God. I love loose parenting. A lot of Ouija boards, a lot of Surge, a lot of pizza, a lot of Domino's. One time my mom got pissed because my friends de-alphabetized her spice cat. <laughs> Why is that so funny? <laughs> oh, parents, they just don't understand. Prank calls, obviously. Dying laughing about writing sex on a piece of paper and putting it into a cookbook. Waking up in the middle of the night to the menu screen of a DVD blasting the theme song. Sorry, I'm just being annoying at this point. Um... So, okay, the reason I'm not trying to read, I want, like, these were actually not for the podcast. They were for Instagram. You know, not everyone on Instagram is on the podcast and vice versa. And since Instagram shared them, I want to read them there. But uh, these are so funny. Fake sleep talking. So my friends thought they were getting juicy secrets. <laughs> Gosh, you're a trickster. Uh, my friend's mom let us watch Cabin Fever at seven years old. Your friend is a bad mom. I'm sorry, there's a line. I like loose parenting, but I don't think you need to show, like, the ring to first graders. Oh, my God. Everyone, everyone's out here smashing bananas in people's hair because a magazine told them it would create a fake sense of dandruff. What if these... What? If, can you imagine a magazine today in this day and age being like, ladies, top 10 ways to bully your friends and give them lifelong trauma that they'll have to regress through at an expensive therapy session later in life. It's just rude. Oh, my God. Somebody said they made up songs to Kokomo. And that's literally all my sister and I dance to. And Monica, the person who ruined my M&M's fate. Just kidding. If you're listening, I love you. Uh, I still freak out in a dark bathroom. I do, too. I honestly, I think, it. you know, it turned out Bloody Mary was our reflection all along. And I don't think I realized that till recently. Sleeping on a trampoline under the stars. So cute. Truth or dare. Ladies always pick truth. Are you insane? You can lie. You can you can't lie your way through dipping your toes in a jar of Tostitos queso, which some girl did here, and I'm don't know if I'll ever be the same. Ah, ah. I had a friend who hid inside of an upside down canoe, Matilda under the table style. We couldn't find her. We thought she'd been eaten by wolves. <laughs> Matilda under the table. Also, that's really funny. Oh my god. Manhunt. I hated playing that. Yes, those are the pits. The girl talk game with the zit stickers. Yep. First awake and not knowing what to do. So you fake being asleep until someone wakes up. I cannot relate to this, Shannon. Uh, the far worse is being the last to wake up and your friend that you have a pack with like forgets to wake you and then you miss out on the Belgian waffles. It's a dark place to be. Oh my God, Miss Mary Mac. 
Miss Mary Mac, 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 all dressed in black, 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 um, buttons, buttons, buttons all down her back, back, back. She reached so high, high, high. She touched the sky, 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 and she never came back, back, back till the 4th of July. Lie, lie. Is that it? Wow. I haven't thought of that in a long time. Also, why? I could write way better lyrics to that. Taylor Swift needs to redo Miss Mary Mac, you know? And there's a place on Mars where the women smoke cigars and the men wear bikinis and the children drink martinis. Every breath you take is enough to kill a snake. When the snake is dead, you put mustard on its head. When the mustard dries, you put diamonds in its eyes. When the diamonds crack, you put something on its back. When the something fades, you call the king of spades. When the king of spades comes, you freeze. Wow, this is thrilling. Hey, hooray. None of you are listening to this out loud anywhere. <laughs> I gotta stop. I have to go. And by go, I just mean I'm gonna put all this on Instagram anyway, and you'll see it in a story. And I is I was trying to divide the episode into two halves. As many people asked to like reminisce, as also to talk about like pod like podcasting a little more and my thoughts on it, and if I feel like it's kind of largely maintained the same of of what I always wanted it to be and how it's pivoted and our, whatever all the experiences we've had and um you know it's. It's funny. It's hard to like snap out of that. I'm just still like so hung up on Miss Mary Mack. Like, why? Why, why, why did she reach the sky and never came back to the 4th of July? When did she leave? She left July 3rd. That's not impressive, you know? Anyway, no, what I was saying earlier is um, my original intention to, I was to call this podcast Millennial. And even though I pivoted to be there in five because I felt like it made more sense to like use the existing brand and namesake. Um, I can't, I almost can't even believe how true to my intentions the podcast still is and how it really evolved in a way that I didn't see coming, but also maintain the integrity of what I wanted it to always be about. I guess I'll just tell you a little bit about my headspace and my experience and what's important to me moving forward. Um, I told you guys recently I've been rocking my Chelsea shoe in a leopard cheetah print and they are insanely comfortable and theme of today's episode they are also made out of water bottles i mean i just think it's cool that we can cast a vote with the products we buy and sustainable products are incredible and they're comfortable they're fully machine washable and they it's just it's i don't know i i hadn't i hadn't tried them for a long time until this year and now it's pretty obvious to me why people are so obsessed with these shoes they have over a thousand nearly perfect reviews they're stylish sustainable comfortable washable and they're kind of just like the perfect flats for everybody. I, I don't know a soul who does not think these are incredibly comfortable. And we all know it's been a, it's a real journey to find shoes, especially flat shoes that like rub the back of your heel that don't take a long time to break in. And I think that what's so great, too, is once you try a pair, you're going to be like, oh, I get it. And then they have this kind of ever changing array of colors and prints and patterns and they kind of have evolved to go from just flats and loafers to now they have points, they have sneakers and uh, they launch new colors and patterns every few weeks that like literally sell out constantly. Uh, my shoe was sold out for a long time. And somehow I found a small window when I could get them. The leopard ones are super popular because it's kind of the best neutral, right? And they're seamlessly knit using thread from plastic water bottles. So they're ultra comfortable. And uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the Facebook. Is it a Facebook ad or maybe Instagram? I've saw it long before I used them somebody saying the most comfortable shoes I've ever owned or most comfortable flats. And I was like, what? But I'd actually co-sign that in a heartbeat. Uh, they've already saved over 35 million water bottles from landfills. 
They're fully machine washable. Every time you need a refresh, you just toss them in the washing machine, which I have done, which I've been scared to do with other shoes, and it works great. And uh, they minimize waste by shipping directly in their shoe box, which I love. And, you know, we some people we know have four to five year homes. They call their forever homes. But BuzzFeed recently called them their forever shoes. And I think that normally when people say forever, they actually do mean like Jetsy and the Rippers forever as in eternity. So, you know, got to love that. So go to Rothy's.com to check out all the amazing styles right now at Rothy's.com slash be there in five, just as the show is spelled R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash be there in five to get your new favorite flats and the comfort style and sustainability that you've been waiting for. Rothy's.com slash be there in five. Bye. Because even the term millennial, I kind of wanted to use to not only define myself, but define kind of the difficult position we're in, in terms of people feeling frustrated and lazily reporting on millennials as, as being how we're filled with contradictions. Um, and the joke is, I agree, actually. But my argument is that I don't think it's a bad thing. I myself feel torn between two worlds, between worlds and value systems that are a partial product of my upbringing and a partial product of how vastly our society has changed and how our opportunities have changed as a result. I, I you know, on the one hand, get the plight of tradition. And I thought my life would be this certain, very structured way. But I'm also riveted by the potential of what's new and shiny. And there's so much lazily researched literature about millennials out there that about the, like the millennial paradox and how we're, we're so smart and connected and collaborative and global, but we're so lazy and spoiled and entitled and wouldn't know hard work if it slapped us in the face and don't know what day it is. And what's f- always been so funny to me is I don't think that's a function of our own shortcomings. Like we're these bad people that were poorly raised. It, uh, to me, it really is the growing pains of, of straddling two worlds, one of traditional expectation and one of modern opportunity, where we find ourselves at odds with what we feel like we should be doing and who we should be paired with having the ability to now carve out a future that's much less burdened by traditional expectations that our parents had to deal with. You know, when I grew up, I was like, okay, I'll, you know, you, you get good grades and you're a nice person and you go to college, you pick a major, you get a job, you get married, you have kids you know, rinse, repeat. And I think that we're, those things are all great. And I want a lot of those things. But what kind of creates the paradox and makes us like look lazy or entitled or undecisive or like disloyal or like we hop jobs and do all these different things. It's, it's because the, the world is different than we thought it would be when we had all these goals and expectations. And we're forever trying to, you know, keep our feet on the ground but also leverage what's available to us that wasn't what didn't even exist when we were younger and imagining our futures. And when you want to leverage these things that don't look like what previous generations view as normal and acceptable, it's perceived as wrong. And I think the paradox lies, you know, within us not really knowing the best way to navigate it and and not knowing and they're not being a real blueprint. I think we all want a lot of the traditional things we all always wanted, but we're all simultaneously like filled with questions about our purpose and what we should be doing and our passion and this and that not because we're indecisive but because the world has changed and we have the opportunity to do so if we want to and even better we have the opportunity to not if we want to and i think that that's what's so interesting is that millennials are so uniquely in between two vastly different generations that have a little bit 
I'd argue more of an easily definable concept of who they are that creates a less polarizing response within the generation. If you're a Gen Zer, you wouldn't blink seeing somebody TikTok at an airport. If you are a boomer, you would never deem somebody that has a nine to five to be like, settling. You know, like you would see that as respectable. Like, but I think we have this weird combination of like people that are still living out and holding to traditional values that sometimes question if that's really where they should be because they have the opportunity to pursue passion. And then the people that are, you know, so road less traveled, pursuing passion, doing all these things that make people feel like they need to hustle and work for more and, and live out loud and have this different life that nobody needs either. It just doesn't matter. We have the option to do both. And what happens is this, I'd argue, incredibly black and white, hyperbolic way of existing where everybody thinks that their way is right and everybody is always making you feel like you should be doing something else. And I think even within ourselves, growing up with such minimal technology, you know, and, and an idea of kind of that pre-existing structure gave us the expectations that life would be one way paired with um, growing up and gaining access to more and more that we never thought possible, it just kind of created this inevitable restlessness that comes with recalibrating your previous expectations with your current reality. You know, if I theoretically can follow my passion, should I? Do I have a passion? If everyone else is following their passion because they can and I and I don't want to, is, is that bad? You know, like I think some of us want the white picket fence. Others of us want to picket outside fences of authority. And a lot of people honestly want to do both. And that's okay. And I guess my argument here is that, like I said earlier, so much judgment we put on ourselves and others and previous generations is that we want them to be uncomplicated and we want them to be one way. And and we are quite literally the generation that invented the Facebook status. It's complicated, right? My my career is complicated. My interests are complicated. What I want changes all the time. And it doesn't make me disjointed. It makes me a dynamic and it makes me a product of the time in which I was raised and now am an adult. We as millennials are comprised of so many intersecting parts and at times contradictions that the world will make us question because they, they want us to be easily explained. Millennials are the most researched generation. They're the most talked about. They're the most obsessed over. They're the most stereotyped. And I, I don't even say that anecdotally. I, a big reason I'm talking about this is I spent the you know, better part of the decade at the, one of the biggest market research companies, literally studying consumer behavior, sitting in conference rooms with C-suite executives, trying to explain to them what millennials are and what they care about. I My entire job was um, helping major CPG, Bevel, retail advertisers better understand their target audiences so they can reach them and develop messaging that resonates well enough with them so they'll ultimately react or convert in the way that, you know, that meets the desired advertising outcome, right? And all anybody wanted to talk about were millennials. And I'm sitting there in the boardroom as a millennial, watching how desperately people wanted to simplify our values and goals and lifestyles and end games. So often, even the data would contradict itself. They'd be like, well, a lot of them are cutting cords, but a lot of them aren't. A lot of them want a nine to five and a traditional salary and want to make money, but a lot of them really just care more about impact. It was just like a, a true, um, it's almost, it was almost a, a reassuring diversity of consumer behavior 
that has always made me feel like we are not the me, 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 lazy, entitled generation. We're an incredibly dynamic generation that's putting a lot more thought into what we want out of our lives because we can. And just like Taylor Swift talked about how, you know, she is strategic, which is a very strong and important thing to do in business. People always choose the less favorable synonym and like call her calculated. I think that, you know, being called Avril Lavigne, the prophet that she is, I think that, you know, us being complicated is perhaps our greatest strength (laughs) and what's going to drive a future of incredibly dynamic leadership of parents raising um, strong willed, independent kids that aren't burdened by all of this expectation that a lot of earlier generations were and sure it can create a lot of spoiled children and it does but it also can create a lot of uh, freedom of thought and a lot of uh, diversity and representation and inclusivity in a world that really only used to prefer and prioritize you if you fit within a certain formula and um, you know perhaps the most interesting thing of all that I've realized throughout you know having this podcast um is that i i almost didn't realize that i myself am the millennial paradox <laughs> i grew up very traditionally and you know went to school and picked a major and picked a job and planned to have that job for a long time and just you know get married and have kids and whatever like i just i thought it was like very very straightforward and i always knew i was creative and had these talents but those were things to do on the side and i would get a business degree and have a respectable job and um to to spend the the decade I've been in the workforce half in the as corporate as it gets and half as unstructured as it gets is oddly put me in this unique position where I feel like I can speak to both of these sides in a neutral manner where I genuinely understand the plight of both I genuinely get, depending on the day and the hour, really want to be doing one of the, those things, whether a structured, straightforward salary or just, you know, absolutely drowning in ambiguity. Um, but I think that even beyond that, it does tie back to the reason I started this podcast that ties into, you know, the, the pop culture conversation as well, because I am forever um trying to make people more comfortable when I explain to them who I am or what I do. And, you know, the past five years compared to the previous five um, are so vastly different in terms of how people respond to responded to my corporate job and my black belt job that they, you know, understood versus this current job where all I do is just like, what, uh, what? Dormas, you a podcast you wrote a book about about like instagram like how, like how do you make money like do people so people buy your doormats oh my god that's so cute like i love your little cute handmade business it's so fun so like you just talk into a mic uh, like do, do you feel like everybody has a podcast like it's so like what's your long-term plan like I, I i can't even tell you i hear it all day and um it's kind of to tie this all together. You know, I have trouble landing a plane. I don't give a shit. This is, again, to quote Taylor Swift, this is my podcast on with my audience and my mic in my house and the show that I built. And I need to stop apologizing for saying what I want to say. Um, the reason I started this podcast and the reason I still am committed to this podcast remains the same. That people, more specifically women, are 
allowed to be multidimensional. Too often I observe that, you know, if you like to online shop or if you watch Real Housewives or if you listen to Taylor Swift, like you're basic. If you read books and you're into politics, your interests are respectable. They're intellectual. There can't possibly be crossover, right? And as a young woman, as a millennial myself, I call myself young, but that's why I was going to call it millennial old. It's like I feel like an infant, but I I am well in, in my 30s. I, you know, and I started this podcast, yeah, when I was 30. And I I wanted to create a space that was for people to be like, I'm smart and I'm interesting and I have a vast array of interests and do really important things during the day. But can like, you know, without shame at that same day, you know, sit around with friends or pour a glass of wine and sit there and ponder. Is it appropriate that all of her party guests were walking through Stormy Webster's giant inflatable face through her mouth? You know, it's like, is this a children's museum exploring the digestive tract or is this a child's birthday party? We get it. It's modeled after Astroworld. Also, she's two. It doesn't mean we can't care about and analyze these things. We we need the light and heavy. And entertainment can be spoken about in an intellectual and meaningful format, despite how surface level the topic is. And I just, even before I started this podcast, I just felt that women were so unfairly shamed for their interests because people love to put women in boxes. And my point is perhaps the irony of all ironies is that the industry that is the most guilty of this insistence on oversimplifying women's interests is podcasting. I am constantly told that I need to narrow, that I need a niche, that I need a gimmick, that I, I need a, a shtick. I, I, I'm constantly told in order to succeed in this business, I need to be easily explained. And while I absolutely understand the value of simplicity uh, and clarity as it relates to a, a brand and a marketing message, beyond a brand and a business, I'm a person who's talking to people. And, and committing to niche, while it makes you more sellable to advertisers, it also limits content and limits range. And as a brand, I get that. But as a woman... I feel constantly frustrated at being denied uh, the benefit of the doubt and the assumption that I have range. And it incites me to be seen as disjointed or unfocused in the same way it incites Taylor Swift when she's being strategic and people call her calculated. The choice too often is to choose the, the less favorable synonym of somebody that's not doing anything wrong. They're just doing something different. You know, why does vast have to be branded as too broad? Why does variety have to be branded as aimless? And I always feel like my default setting is just feeling like I have to over-explain. And that probably even sounds like what I'm doing now, but actually I'm trying to kind of make a broader point, which is I think that this podcast, almost in this meta way, has almost uh, illuminated and enhanced the presence of the things I was trying to fight when I started it. And I'm no, I'm not being noble here. I'm not like martyr or crusader. I just mean, I felt like I didn't know how to define myself when I started it. And I didn't feel like I should have to. And the further I get into, you know, a hundred episodes in, all the topics we covered, 
I still feel like I'm fielding the same questions of like, so are you funny or are you serious? Like, are you talking about, you know, uh, religion and women having agency over their own bodies? Or are you complaining about being sent to a sorority standards board for dancing on an elevated surface? <laughs> like, uh, are you trying to make an argument for for mental health or are you analyzing an influencer's three day proposal palooza and months later still lamenting that you miss out on the flash mob? Like, are you honestly torching Rachel Hollis's brand of skinny, high net worth, tough love, mental health, neglecting, privilege riddled brand of boss, babe, gangsta, plagiarized feminism while also spending 15 minutes of airtime describing the perfect Buffalo chicken wrap? And the answer is yes, D, all of the above. (laughs) Why does it matter? Why is that viewed as disorganized? Why, for once, can a woman do a lot of different things and it be seen as deliberate and not disorganized. All I want for myself and you is to be allowed the space to not be written off as a millennial or as a woman or as a lover of pop culture. And I want the intersection of all of our interests and values and emotions to not be required by society to be pared down to something easily digestible and comfortable for other people. I don't want you to downplay anything you are or anything you like. I don't want you to feel uncomfortable talking about your own success or giving yourself credit. And I'm saying this because I need to hear it the most. I am always so terrified of seeming like unlikable or not humble or whatever. I, 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 depending on the day, I feel very differently about where I am in life. And I feel like I preach to you guys so much, but then I'm the biggest, uh, you know, I have, I have such a propensity to self-deprecate and to downplay my own stuff. And while I live for self-deprecating humor, I love to talk shit. No, it's not. It's mean to do it to somebody else. So I'll do it to myself. More often than not, it's a great time. But I think I've let a lot of the difficulty navigating a new industry, the, all the confusing nuances of it, all of the expectations I'm not meeting for other people, all of the ways that I can't define myself that I've been asked to the the you know negative feedback I've gotten and the slower growth in other people there's all these things that just kind of can uh make you ignore the big picture and um be too consistently caught up in what it's not instead of focusing on what it is and I'll only say this once because I'm probably going to go to bed tonight and like panic that I didn't sound like humble or likable because like this isn't a very me thing to do. But for my hundredth episode, I I need you to know that I am so fucking proud of this show and it means so much to me and I'm not going to cry, <laughs> even though I am. Uh, it's It's not because I'm lucky and it's not because, you know, oh, gosh, just can't believe people showed up. It's not because of any one person or thing I did or episode I had or connection or investment. It's because for two years I've tried to show up every week and it's been a ton of work, ton of unpaid work. And the most interesting thing of all, having started this podcast and I was incredibly depressed and there have been a lot of times where it's been a huge drain on time and and a drain on income. But I say drain not because there's any sentiment behind that word, just because of it physically leaves me with less time and less money because I have to take time away from things that could generate me more money more quickly. But I've always seen this as as a form of sweat equity 
in terms of I want to invest the time in you guys as an audience. I want to build a community and I have no idea what the hell I'm doing with my life. But I will be so, so lucky if you will come along. And it's not one of those things like, you know, oh, shucks, like I just talked about pop culture and I'm so glad you're here. I want to be clear, too. An important thing to do anytime you want to go out on your own or do something different that doesn't have a pretty straightforward process. If you don't even know what the end game looks like, there's one thing you can do, and that's build an audience and build a community. And what's been so interesting to me is that and what perhaps is the best evidence of the importance of as millennials if you want to explore and if you want to leverage the kind of uncharted territory of going out on your own and how people can find success in unconventional ways you know when i was young i didn't dream of having a vague marketing job working in market research uh when i you know i i didn't ever identify doormats as as being my passion all of these independent vehicles that have been the physical jobs it just has so little to do with the content and i would still say that now and i bring this up because the very first episode i explained how the epiphany that doormats weren't my passion that they were the vehicle that enabled me to work passionately because the doormat company was comprised of a series of small tasks that where i could shine and where i that were representative of my skill sets. It had nothing to do with the manufacturing or the selling of doormats itself. Um, and then what I realized at a point in time is those small tasks that I was passionate about that enabled me to start that company were so rooted in the starting of it and the launching of it and, and w- had nothing to do with the maintenance of it. And here I am being the true token millennial following where my interest lies perhaps more than my responsibility. but. If you have that luxury and we have the ability to have jobs on our own terms in unconventional ways, why wouldn't we seek happiness? Why wouldn't we seek passion and purpose, right? And through that company, I saw, you know, I could literally build something from thin air. And I, I don't know, I only share these things because I don't know a lot. Like, I, I'm not self-actualized whatsoever. But, the, but what I do know is that at every turn and with every risk and with every terrifying thing I've done that's been a source of a lot of angst at times, it's also introduced me to a new side of myself I would have never met otherwise. And I just never, I never want people leading with the person they are now, but leading with the potential of who they could be. And I think back on even being good at my corporate job and even that being so associated with my identity, to think that there, there was this version of me out here This version of me who, you know, despite all of those accolades I worked for my whole life, despite, you know, working so hard to have that sort of equity at a company, I was winning market research awards. I was a trained Six Sigma black belt. I I had, you know, a a great business degree. I had started a company from scratch, built it from the ground up, automated it scaled it to gotten my stuff in it sold thousands of units and got my stuff in Nordstrom and on Wayfair and I, I truly figured it all out by myself and what's perhaps the craziest to me is all of that made me feel like I conquered the world and literally made me hireable for truly anything but I started the podcast and wrote the book because I wasn't getting hired because I when I wanted to go back into the workforce I couldn't 
because somehow, despite all of those things, nobody saw value in my experience because it wasn't specific enough. <laughs> You'll probably, you're probably noticing a theme here and uh, it being triggering for me when people ask me to narrow, to specialize, and to not see the value in breadth as well as depth. Um, because when push came to shove and I was at rock bottom and I wasn't getting hired and I had done all of those things only to have nobody care about them, when it's all stripped away, the only thing that gave me any sort of measurable success and in something that I'm genuinely proud of and that aligns with what I want to be doing is my personality. And I think that it's hard to remember sometimes that yes, degrees and jobs and all of these external means of defining ourselves that people find understandable matter for a lot of jobs, most jobs, but we all have things that nobody can take away from us we all can add our own specific value because nobody has your perspective and life experience and even though there's so many times it's so much easier to focus on all of the things you don't have I guarantee you your strongest asset and the area you're going to be able to contribute the most and drive the most impact is something you already have and is ingrained in who you already are and training and sharpening your saw may refine it to be, you know, transferable to some specific industry. But even when you're the most down and out and think you have nothing, I guarantee you that sitting with you, you already have everything. And it will ultimately lead you to your success. And you, like me, will look back and realize the through line of your entire career. It's not about what you've become. It's about over time realizing there's so so much more value in who you've always been and i don't have the um i i am not profound and and i don't have the clarity in real time to to realize that and i know i'm the first to say i hate the polish of retrospect but if i can offer you one thing it's not all of these complicated convoluted steps formulas processes coaches belief systems that get you from a to b it's a lot of focusing on what you have and ownership of who you are and what you like. There's a, there's a built-in sincerity and motivation of things you like and you're going to do anyway. And if you can find the thing that other people aren't doing that you've always been doing, you're golden. And it doesn't matter how objectively important or deep or how well it fits in with the rest of the world. Because if I went through all the processes to get a good degree and get a good job and be an awarded you know market researcher and get promoted and you know get a black belt and then start a company and bootstrap it and scale it and grow it and be featured in all of these publications and all of these panels and i i i i had every title in the book of all the things i was but the thing that made me the most successful was the thing i had the least experience in that i loved the most and I was the most embarrassed to talk about. And I don't know if that's a lesson to any of you. And I don't know if that's helpful. But I just want you to keep it in mind. It's probably in front of your nose. If you love it, you'll probably be successful at it. And success doesn't look the same for everybody. And you have to celebrate your own independent of what other people's looks like. And above all else, the first step is 
owning who you are, owning what you like, not letting anybody belittle or make you feel small for what you care about, and for arguing that we're able to be multidimensional beings with a vast array of interests that can step outside the box, think outside the box, do the less conventional thing, and not have people make us feel like different is wrong. Do not let anybody choose the less favorable adjective for your situation, just as we discussed with Taylor Swift's strategy being called calculated. You are not lost. You are just seeking. You're, you're not alone. You are independent. Uh, and you're, you're, you're not a failure or you're not missing something. You're, you're just under construction. You are FU new construction money and it just takes time to build. And perhaps most importantly, never let anybody tell you that you're late. You simply lost track of time. <laughs> and with that, first I have to, I need to clarify too. I, you might have noticed in the past year, this podcast has transformed from the first year. And it is one thing and one thing only. And that is, I found Courtney, who is my friend, my manager, but I call her my friend, because she's my friend too. She has transformed everything. She believes in me, in this show, and unequivocally supports what I do in a way that I haven't even found anybody does and just gets it. And she has been a godsend and she's the Chris Jenner, Chris Jenner wishes she was. And I just need you to know that, like, I talk about myself as it relates to this podcast. And while I'm a solo narrator, she is the machine behind it. And I could not do it without her. And she is the absolute best. And I want to get her on Patreon sometime to kind of talk about our experience together. And, you know, if you already listened to Patreon, you've heard her talk about our L.A. trip and how I knew she was the one for me when she looked at me and Tom Tom and said it was the best day of her life. And I just never thought I would find a friend that understood me on that deep of a level. And uh, I love her dearly. And she's made all the difference. And if you come to live shows, you'll see her, meet her. She'll probably hustle you along in a meet and greet. God love her. She does. She does the things I can't do. I can't leave a conversation. I could talk to you guys forever. But I just want to shout out Courtney, um, who has made all of the difference. And. I just never knew how badly I needed a teammate until she came around, and I'm incredibly grateful. So anyway, guys, uh, support our sponsors, Rothy's, HelloFresh, Buffy. Codes are in show notes. Uh, rate and review five stars if you want another 100 episodes. Join patreon.com slash be there in five. I'm adding a bunch of bonus content soon that I've recorded because I scrapped so many versions of this episode that I have extra ones to post. And I just hope you uh, know how much I appreciate you being here. And I hope you will continue to come back, and it is one of the great joys of my life to keep you company. I know what you're thinking. She is going to end with something cheesy and pensive like Five for Fighting's 100 Years. And did I consider that? Why, well, yes, I did, because Be There and Five for Fighting is catchy as hell. But I chose something different, a song that I actually listen to quite often before I have to be at events or, or I'm on stage or any time where I need to feel like a better version of myself. There's a song called Monster by Kanye West featuring many people, but Nicki Minaj's verses, since it came out, something I've been absolutely obsessed with. It was popularized by Adele's Carpool Karaoke video, but independent of any of that, what I love, not only is that she was earlier on in her career, and this was a big break for her, and I like the story behind it, and not only because (laughs) with my old episodes... Every time I say something that is off-putting, I'm worried my mom's going to call me about, 
I just, I follow it up with simply, I'm a monster. Like, I, I don't know what you want me to do. And so this kind of became uh, my mantra of sorts, if I'm being honest, a long time ago. But also, there's something so intentionally unfeminine and aggressive and uh, like about the way she snarls through these verses and the way she delivers them that I find to be the exact thing I need to feel empowered to transcend my neuroses and um and in a strange way i think that there's something poetic about what she's saying and how she says it in terms of you know uh let me get this straight i'm the rookie and my features in my show 10 times your pay i mean like it's just it's empowering but also i don't think there should be any version of us that at any time isn't trying to think big get cash make them blink fast just, you know, wanted to remind you of the song and share. I, I really do listen to this quite often. And, you know, maybe that's something you didn't know about me. I appreciate you being here. I meant every word I said. I'll probably go to bed and overthink everything I said during this episode, as I always do. But that's what makes me me. And what makes you you is being the people that accept me as I am and understand that I'm not a fully formed public figure that's just like, yes, bitch, zero fucks. I, I'll get there. I, I, honestly, I, I hope to be headlining Chicago next year. I will be Erica Jane. But for now, I am Kate. And I am confident in what I have to say, but insecure in the delivery. Fearful of the permanence of this job because I love it so dearly. And for however long I have you, my God, am I grateful. Uh, and with that, <laughs> let me know your thoughts. And I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. <laughs>